You're listening to the Unveiling Mormonism podcast from PursueGod.org. Join us every Monday as we pull back the curtain on Mormon history, culture, and doctrine. Find more resources to continue the conversation at PursueGod.org forward slash Mormonism. Okay, Bo, KD, today we're in lesson eight. We're getting close to the end here. We're in lesson eight out of 12 in the pursuit. Today, we're going to talk about three keys for Christian living. And I'm really excited about this one because, okay, we've talked about it, what it means to be a Christian, how to become a Christian, trusting Jesus for salvation, like how fundamental that is to trust Jesus, that we're saved by grace through faith, period. But then something happens. And I really want to get to this because I think people coming from a Mormon background might be confused about this because a lot of people think that, that Christians use grace as a license to sin. And today we're going we're gonna to kind of debunk that and answer a lot of other questions along the way. And I want to start with the verse, Ephesians 5, verse 10. It says this, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. So I want to say this, that if, you're, if, if our listeners are out there who are saying, hey, I'm a Christian now, I've come out of this, you know, burdensome, weighty, legalistic background with Mormonism, and now I have freedom in Christ. I can drink coffee now. I can have a beer. I can drink wine, you know, whatever. I mean, I don't know, whatever's, whatever's happening for everybody. We're, maybe we'll get into all this today. And, and I, I want to make sure that we debunk this idea that now that you're a Christian, you can just, just like, like live however you want to, because that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we should carefully determine what pleases the Lord, Ephesians 5 10. I mean, am I resonating, Bo and KD, with, I don't know, maybe with your experience when you first came to faith in Jesus and in biblical Christianity, maybe some of the things that some of your friends or family members were telling you about what that might mean for you, like you're, you're, you're just going to like throw everything out and just, uh, you know, start wearing shorts to church or something. <laughs> hey, shorts to church is not the worst, I'll tell you that. <laughs> uh, no, look, I think uh, <laughs> that was awesome. No, I think a couple of things. So I remember uh, a, f- a few people in our life um, concerned that we were leaving the Mormon church so that we could live a different lifestyle, for example, right? Like th- they were worried we were leaving because we wanted to live a different way. We wanted to maybe it's drink coffee or we wanted to stop wearing garments or whatever it was. It was for maybe a, a more comfortable, self-centered life as to why we were leaving the Mormon church. And that's just not the case, right? And we've talked about it on this podcast, but we left the Mormon church because we believe Joseph Smith uh, created um, a false religion and corrupted and changed the gospel. That was probably a bit bold to say in the first two minutes of the podcast, but here we go. So so, so that's why we left the Mormon church. And then why we um, went as we followed... Jesus, as we as we looked to the Bible for answers, that's when we came to know Him. That's when we came to trust Him. And as we put our faith and trust in Jesus, that's when, um, for both of us, a, a change occurred. Right? And the Bible says that you know when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you become a new creation. I think that's what we'll talk a lot about today because that's the difference that I never understood. So as a Mormon missionary or as as a, a Mormon um, you know full time seminary teacher. I would always talk about the differences between Mormons and Christians as if, um, kind of, kind of what you said, Brian, like as if they had a license to sin and they were claiming that Jesus's grace has saved them. And so there's nothing else they have to do. 
And in Mormonism, it's quite the opposite, right? Like you're constantly trying to earn the Spirit's presence and keep the commandments so that you'll be blessed and keep the commandments so that you'll have the Spirit with you. Uh, And as I've understood Christianity and understood the Bible better, obviously that's, it's not the case, right? Christ's grace is is not a license to sin. Um, and so anyway, it's an important thing to to probably draw a line in the sand so that everybody understands like, no, do we keep on sinning? Of course not. I think Paul says that. Um, shoot, what scripture is that? Romans, maybe Romans five or six. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, 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 it's in Romans. And and anyway, I love what Paul says, right? Because he's like, hey, now that we're new creations, do mm-hmm. we keep on sinning? Of course not. So that's uh, yeah, that's an important distinction. Okay, so let me let me just let me just kind of poke the poke the bear a little bit because I I really want this lesson to be eye opening for our Mormon listeners. Okay, so a couple of questions, just simple yes no question answers for now. Okay, did you did Bo and KD did you drink coffee as Mormons? Never. In my life, did okay. I drink coffee as a Mormon? Okay, so now that you've been a Christian, do you have you had a cup of coffee? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, here's here's what I'll say about that. Actually, so when I was a Mormon, I drank plenty of soda, right? <laughs> and and honestly, I think it's why soda shacks around here are so successful in Utah <laughs> because. They're not drinking coffee, so they got to get their caffeine somehow. Um, so I, I, I definitely still drink caffeine, but I avoided coffee because obviously Mormons specifically ask about coffee and tea. So I'd never had coffee or tea. Um, and yeah, now now that I'm no longer Mormon, I'm a Christian, I drink coffee. Even during church, I drink coffee. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. We have coffee at church, right? Did, That's right? did it take a while for you guys to get comfortable with that? Or were you like right away where you're like, oh, this is cool. This is different. This is cool. I used to walk the aisles of the grocery store just to smell the coffee beans. Mm. <laughs> so no, it it was probably like the next week I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this coffee thing and see if I like it. And turns out coffee is amazing. So mm. yeah. Okay. Next, next, next question. Next question. Did you drink alcohol as Mormons? No. Yeah, never. Okay. And, and I know, I know firsthand the answer to this second, the follow-up question, because we had dinner with you guys the other night and we all had a wonderful glass of blue moon. We all had a beer together. And okay. So just right now, some of our Mormon listeners or listeners with Mormon background are just floored right now. They're like, what are you? I can't believe you just, hold on. You just said that you don't use grace as a license to sin. And Bo and KD just admitted that they sin because they, they admitted that they drink coffee now and that they've had beer or wine and they enjoy that now. And so maybe we should just, maybe we should start with, I'm going to kind of throw this lesson a curveball because we're going to talk about three things today as we I'd sort of uncover a biblical solution to what we're talking about today. Now that we have some people probably a little bit confused. Second Peter one, three says by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Okay. So he's already given you guys everything you need for living a godly life. He's given all of our listeners, every, if they're Christians, if they've put their faith in Christ, they have everything they need for living a godly life. And we like to break this down into three main things. Okay. So for our listeners at home who are keeping score, we're going to talk today about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit's role is in our life. We're going to talk about the Bible's role in our life. 
and we're going to talk about other believers' role in our life. And I want to actually kind of flip it. I'm going to do it out of order a little bit. I want to start with the Bible, because since I asked these questions, here's what we believe. The Bible guides us and shows us the attitudes and actions that honor God. And spoiler alert, ready? Maybe you guys can help explain this. Drinking coffee is not an action that dishonors God. Having a beer, having a glass of wine is not an action that dishonors God. Now, the Bible does say, don't be drunk. So drunkenness is a sin. But the Bible doesn't say that having a glass of wine or having a beer is a sin. And I'm not just talking to Mormons right now. I'm talking even to legalistic Christians. I grew up in a in a Christian home that was that was, I mean, pretty close to how Mormons think about not coffee, but but certainly alcohol. And I never drank alcohol. I didn't drink alcohol until I was in my mid twenties. And because I and I always had this thought that if you drank, I was just very judgmental about people who had a who had a beer, even if they weren't getting drunk. And so I don't think this is just a Mormon thing. I think this is just a legalistic thing overall. So why don't we just start start with that? How do you guys view those two issues now, now that you're Christians? Because it is pretty amazing, actually, to see how quickly, because again, you guys were good, like faithful Mormons when it came to this stuff. I actually thought it might be a few years before you guys finally broke down and and had a cup of coffee or had a beer. So explain this to our listeners. Like, how do you square that up with your faith as Christians now? We wanted to party. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we we just we knew that it wasn't um, against biblical Christianity to have a cup of coffee. And I always had a little bit of a soapbox in Mormon when I was a Mormon. Mm. I would I would just question. I'd ask people, well, why are is it okay that we drink? We could drink like two Red Bulls. Or some other type of like you know energy drink, but but coffee wasn't allowed. So I always had that question, and nobody ever seemed to be able to answer that for me. So once we left Mormonism, um, yeah, we definitely tried coffee. I have much more of a sweet tooth than Bo, so I'm de- I definitely was like, this is garbage water. But <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, I I think. We just squared it up that way. We just thought, you know, it's not unbiblical. So, yeah, I mean, look, when when you unpack it, you realize that this was a quote unquote revelation given to Joseph Smith one day when Emma was complaining about all the tobacco that was being spit on the floor. So, like when you when you stop believing Joseph Smith, when you realize that um, he wasn't who he said he was, and that he created a false religion, and that he corrupted Christianity, uh, then you. You throw out his teachings and you rely on the Bible for truth. And so to your point, Brian, the the Bible being reliable is is something that I think was important for Katie and I to understand. And because again, in Mormonism, we've talked about this before, but in Mormonism, you're taught that the Bible is true only as far as it is translated correctly. Mm. Um, but what we've learned through studying the Bible, through studying Bible scholars, th- through learning a ton more about it, um, the Bible is the most trustworthy and historically accurate to the text, to the original text of any book on the earth. So like, yeah, it's it's reliable. Now, you still have to make a faith decision, which is something that, that Katie and I did. But, um, but yeah, so if the Bible's reliable, if the original authors wrote that stuff down and we have it today, then what the Bible teaches, um, and obviously a faith decision would be 
then it's from God. And then, okay, then I need to live what the, the, the way the Bible wants me to live, the way that God wants me to live. So that, that's what made it easy, I guess, is what I would say in a roundabout way, Brian, it, it was easy to, to stop the, the legalism and Mormonism and to start living a, a biblical Christian life. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, it says this, all scripture, this is talking about the Bible, is inspired by God and is useful. I love that word that it's useful, that scripture is useful. It's not just supposed to be like a, like a decoration on a wall. It's not supposed to be just on a shelf gathering dust. The Bible is useful for doing four things. Here it is, to teach us what's true, to make us realize what's wrong in our lives, to correct us when we're wrong, and to teach us to do what's right. So I'm going to go over those again. I love these. It's, so it teaches, what, teaches us what's true. In, in a culture like today's, it's so important to know that there's right and wrong. And the Bible tells us what's right and wrong. Okay, number two, it helps us to realize what's wrong. So it does, can, you know, when we're reading the Bible, we're like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize it said that, you know? And so we realize there's something wrong because we're aligning ourselves with something that's truthful and our lives don't always line up with that. Number three, it corrects us when we're wrong, which is great, by the way, because what if the Bible just told us when we were wrong, but never corrected us, never never gave us a chance to, I mean, if anyone out there has been, uh, if you try this in marriage, it's not, your marriage isn't going to last. If you're just only telling your husband what he's doing wrong, or if your husband's, you're only telling your wife what she's doing wrong, but you're never helping correct her so that you know what's right, which is number four, teaches us to do what is right, then then it's not going to leave you any better off than it found you. And so I love that scripture does this for us. So for you guys, again, we're given a couple of examples. So so you look to the Bible, now you realize, oh, this is a Mormon thing that we can't drink coffee, not a biblical thing. Check. That was easy. Oh, this is a Mormon thing, not a biblical thing that we can't drink beer or wine. I mean, Jesus drank wine. And again, that was one, I don't want to just throw Mormons under the bus. I remember when I first started dating Tracy, we were actually almost almost married. We were engaged and she, and I, she could tell I was judgmental about this and, and I didn't drink. And she said, show it to me in God's word. And she was right. And I was wrong. Because what I was doing is I was following traditions of man. I was following my traditions of my church stuff that I grew up with. And man, is it hard to be self-aware about that, to say, oh gosh, what? Yeah, this is because my pastor or my bishop or somebody said this to me, but it's actually not in the Bible. So I had to eat some humble pie there and realize that I was the one who was not being biblical, not the people who were enjoying a beer at dinner. Again, they weren't getting drunk. That wasn't even the question. It, if they were, then I, then, then I would have had a leg to stand on. I, the, and Tracy would have had to join me and say, hey, guys, this isn't, isn't biblical for you to be getting drunk. And I've had to call people out for that before. But having a beer, having a glass of wine is not unbiblical. Jesus had a glass of wine. I was taught growing up that it was grape juice, but it wasn't. It was, it was wine. Jesus drank wine at the Last Supper. So anyway... Are there some other things, Bo and KD, as you think about this? I mean, maybe give us just a quick little list of some things that you've discovered that m- maybe maybe is a Mormon cultural norm that isn't actually necessarily biblical. These are the two big ones, but are there some others? Yeah, there's probably some others. I mean, um, the Sabbath day, for example, is a is a big one for uh, that you can get really legalist about, right? I mean, even... Uh, 
even the Pharisees and Sadducees were pretty legalistic about the Sabbath day, um, uh, even even to Jesus, right? And and Jesus is pretty clear about uh, what's important to to focus on in the Sabbath day. And so, so yeah, I think growing up, um, you know, we we definitely didn't eat out on Sunday, didn't watch uh, TV until I think my parents got sick of telling me no later on in life, but didn't watch TV on Sunday, couldn't play with friends on Sunday. I think there's a lot of things. Um, you're not really supposed to buy anything on Sunday or mow your lawn or yard work or any of that. So I think there's a lot of um, culture that gets involved with it, right? And and any, look, any legalistic culture is going to get, kind of is going to kind of go that way. But, um, but yeah, so, and I want to be clear, like, it's, I can see the perspective of people from the outside that were watching us leave the church and all of a sudden we're drinking coffee every once in a while, or maybe I'm mowing the lawn on Sunday and they're thinking, Oh my gosh, like that's why they left the church. They didn't leave the church because they don't believe in it anymore. They left the church because it was easier for them. And that's just not the case. Uh, we left the church to find Jesus and, and we did right in, in a big and powerful way. And so, and again, I'm saying the church, I, what I'm saying is we left Mormonism. Um, sorry, it's, that's another cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, anyway, so yeah, that hopefully that answers your question. Okay. Do you feel, okay. I know what your neighbors, I know how your neighbors would answer this question. Are Bo and KD more godly or less godly now that they've left Mormonism? How would you guys answer that question? I mean, I I would say a hundred percent more godly because the spirit of God lives in us now. Mm. So now it's not because I worked for it. I, I I would I wouldn't say that I'm godly because I'm doing things that are godly necessarily. Now, obviously, I think things will come out of me that are godly because the Holy Spirit's there to to help lead and guide and 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 prompt, but. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what I would say is the difference. And and again, we've talked about this before and I'm sure we'll get into it here, but it's becoming a new creation is something that's so foreign to, to Mormons. Uh, and I think it's important that we unpack that here on the, on this episode, because I, I never understood what these born again Christians were talking about. Mm. I didn't even know what they were talking about. The whole born again thing was weird to me. Uh, because it was like, well, yeah, you get baptized and you're going to get the gift of the Holy Ghost. You're going to have to keep all the commandments, but the Holy Ghost leaves if you don't keep the commandments. So mm. like, you got to keep the commandments. Anyway, there's a lot we could, we could talk about, but that's what I would say. What, what would you say? Well, I think that um, in Mormonism, they believe that we, we have to do, we must do everything we can to make ourselves worthy of God's grace, right? So that's a difference. Um, Whereas in Christianity, we can't do anything to make ourselves worthy. So I think I would answer the question and say that I I have the ability to be more godly because I have God's spirit living inside me now. Now I am a temple, right? So, and I I can't do anything with my natural nature that I had before, but because, like Bo was saying, I have... Um, a new nature, I, I have the ability to be more godly and act more godly. Um, and that, and, and, and like Bo said, 
the the good works that now happen in my life or come from me are are a result of of grace, right? They're not from that. I don't get to boast about those because they come from God. Um, and when I was a Mormon, I felt like good works were a precondition, right? That was a precondition for my individual salvation. I I had to do good works to be worthy of God's grace. Yeah, let me read that verse I, I read earlier, but read it again now that you just explained that so well, KD. 2 Peter 1.3, by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. How different is that right there than Mormonism, works-based righteousness? You have to work. You have to do all these things. I think you called it a couple of weeks ago, KD, the hamster wheel. It's like this hamster wheel and you can never, am I good enough? Am I good enough? And But again, God has given you by his power everything you need. So not only are we, be, are we saved by grace, but we, we live this God-honoring life this godly life, we live it by grace. It's not, it's at no point do we pat ourselves on the back and say, look at how great I am now. And so, so look, we talked about how the Bible guides us, but, but what you guys are talking about is the second thing, which is really the first thing. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us from the inside out, empowering us to honor God every day. And Bo, you mentioned this new creation idea that, that maybe one of the first times it shows up in the Bible is Ezekiel in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. I love this. It says this, and, and Ezekiel the prophet is prophesying about a future time, and that time is now. So this is, he's prophesying about something that happened to you guys a few months ago. It happened to me years ago when I first came to faith. Here's what he says, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you, I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart, and I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Isn't that interesting? So again, I'm going to say this to the Christian who uses grace as a license to sin. Stop it, because that's not God's picture for you. God wants you to be obedient. But I'm going to say now to the person coming out of Mormonism, don't think for a minute that you're going to be able to obey from your own willpower because this prophecy is in the New Testament backs this up all over the place is saying that the spirit in you is the thing is the is the power behind your ability to obey God's regulations. So yes, obeying his regulations and by the way not dumb regulations, not coffee and beer, but obeying the real stuff that he cares about, the real rules is is what God's all about. But it, it happens from the inside out. And Bo, I love how, how you answered my question about being godly. Man, you're such a good theologian already. Like you, you, you hit it. You hit the nail on the head. You said, I'm way, I'm I'm hundred percent more godly. You finally are godly because the Holy Spirit is the one who's moving in you. So as a Mormon, you were you were on the hamster wheel trying to be a good person, keep the rules, but in the absence of the Holy Spirit generating that, it's actually it's actually filthy. It, it's filthy to God. It's it's self righteousness to God, which is the opposite of godliness. And so you you were really right in your answer. It's interesting the difference. So, and, and Katie, I, I think you summarized it so well, right? Like the the difference when you become a new creation is you now have you now have two natures living inside of you, not just the, the sinful nature, uh, but now you have a godly nature 
right? That you're now becoming sanctified and, and the, you are now a temple of God. The spirit of God lives in you. And, and, um, now that doesn't mean that you're not going to wrestle between those two natures. That doesn't mean that sometimes you're, you're, you know, you're going to give into that carnal sinful nature that, that happens. And, and this is where I think Christians can, can really listen in, uh, just because you've been saved, just because the spirit lives in you, that doesn't give you the license to give into that sinful nature over and over again, right? Like we should be, um, practicing, I guess practice is, I don't know if that's the right word here. Yeah, that's a good, I think that's a great word. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we should be, we should be doing our best to live a godly life because it honors God, the God that saved you, the God that changed you, the God that now lives in you, uh, and has adopted you into his family. Like that is a God that, that should be worshiped, should be praised and should be praised through our, through our deeds, through our actions, through our works different from us earning God's approval or earning his grace through our deeds and actions, which we can't do because we're all broken. We're all sinners. Uh, we all have a carnal nature that to, to your point is filthy to God. So the change has to come first. And I think that's, what's important for Mormon uh, listeners or, or those coming out of Mormonism to understand the change has to happen mm-hmm. first. And, and I think it's, it's, almost the opposite in Mormonism, like the works come first and then the change starts to happen. And throughout your life, you become a better and a better person and the spirit sanctifies you over, over time. But the problem is if it's God that has to change your nature, you can't change your nature on your own. Uh, and no matter how many good deeds you stack up, that you're, you're always going to be a sinner and you're always going to need, um, Christ's grace first. So hopefully, hopefully that makes sense. Maybe Brian, you can kind of help unpack that one. Well, yeah, that's how, that's why, you know, the lessons four, five, and six were all about the first arrow in the circle in a pursuit of God. The first arrow was, we define it like this, is we start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus. And then the second arrow is what we're talking about today is now you can live to honor God. It uh, here's a good way to exp- I used to explain it like this to Mormons or people coming trying to understand Mormonism. Mormonism is like the is like the full circle without the first arrow. It's like I'm just trying to honor God. I'm trying to do the second thing, but I never I I never understood the first thing. I never understood trusting Jesus. So that's why lessons four, five, and six are so important. Is if once you've trusted Jesus for salvation, he changes you from the inside out. Ephesians 1.13 says this, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. I mean, that is so clear right there. When did you get the Holy Spirit? When you believed in Christ. That's when you got the Holy Spirit. And, and that changes everything. Like you said, Bo, now... Now there's this new power within you that's moving you, like Ezekiel said, that's moving you from the inside out. Now it's like, you're like, I used to be able to do that thing and not think twice about it. Now I do that thing and I feel conviction by the Holy Spirit in my life. It's not condemnation, but conviction. And, and I can feel this nudge of the Holy Spirit that I, that I need to, and I want to make it right. And, and it's, it makes all the difference in the world to know that it's this power inside of you that's moving you. But you're right, Bo, there still is this battle. And 
Paul explains it in Galatians 5. In fact, I encourage our listeners to read that whole chapter. In fact, read the whole book. The whole book of Galatians is so good. It's so good. The first couple chapters he's talking about basically salvation by grace. And then the last couple chapters, he's talking about this, you know, honoring God. And so in, in chapter five, he says this. So I, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So look, if the sinful nature was just eradicated, he wouldn't have to say that. He would have just said, look, you don't have a sinful nature anymore. You can't do any wrong anymore. No, you obviously can. There's this battle. There's this epic war in, inside of you now that you've got the Holy Spirit guiding your life. And he's saying, you've got to let the Holy Spirit guide your life. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Look at that. Man, how offensive is that to a card-carrying Mormon to say to them, you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And by the way, Paul's talking to Christians here, people who have the Holy Spirit in them. Even people who have the Holy Spirit in them are not free of their own volition to carry out their good intentions. What, I mean, what would he say to people who don't have the Holy Spirit? There's no way you could carry out your good intentions if you don't have the Holy Spirit, because even having the Holy Spirit, there's still this battle within you. And so that's why he, he lists out in Galatians 5, he, he lists out the works of the flesh, you know, things like sexual immorality and greed and lust and all these things we talked about in lesson four, he lists all these things out, but then he lists out the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's the stuff, guys, that's so much more important for people to understand than rules about coffee or beer. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I mean, how many times did you see people violating those things in your ward and nobody called it out? And again, this isn't just a Mormon thing, by the way. This happens in churches all the time, where people aren't living according to the fruit of the Spirit, but nobody calls that out, but they'll call out the, the quote-unquote obvious sins. Yeah, that's such a good point. And, and, and in fact, they'll, they'll get in the habit of ranking sin, right. right? Like, oh, well, this one's a worse sin, but but I only do like the small stuff, so it's no big deal, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. Like, they, they sin worse than I do, so I'm a better person. Like, no, no. We're all sinners. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Like we all are broken and we all need a savior. We all need grace through Jesus. And, and when we put our faith and trust in, in Christ, like that's when our hearts are changed in that instant. But uh, our habits are transformed gradually over mm -hmm. time. And, and that's where, that's, that's why I love what Paul's getting at in Galatians um, here, because there are two forces. There's two forces that are, that are going to be battling inside of us. And it's why we need God's spirit. Like if, if so Brian, if, if you were just transformed and you became a, a new creation without God's spirit, <laughs> uh, it's going to be impossible to live a godly life. It's going to be impossible to honor God because you'll be doing it on your own again. And, and I, I think the Bible is pretty clear about <laughs> what human beings do when they're left on their own. <laughs> mm. They, uh, they sin. That's, that's what we do. And so, uh, that's why we need God's spirit, right? It changes us from the inside out step by step and aligns our attitudes and our actions, uh, you know, with, with the path that leads to life that, that leads us closer to Jesus. Yeah. And, and it is, I like how you use the word practice. It is, I think that's a good word. It's like another word for this is training. 
it's training. It's like you are training yourself, just like any athlete trains, you're training yourself. It's you have these new muscles now, these new spiritual muscles, but you have to exercise them. So for people who maybe are beating themselves up because they they feel like they're still sinning and they're Christians now, but they're still struggling with maybe some sin habits in your life. I just want you to be encouraged that that you know what even Paul says here at the end of Galatians five is just just keep nailing the passions and desires of your sinful nature to the cross where Jesus was crucified. And and Paul ends that chapter by saying, since we're living by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. So it's just kind of this. It's like this, another translation says, let's walk by the spirit. So you're walking by the spirit. You're trying not to, you're trying not to do the works of the flesh. Isn't it interesting that that's the word that Paul uses in Galatians? He calls it the, the works of the flesh, but then he calls it the fruit of the spirit. Do you see the difference there? The flesh, the, by your flesh, you're going to end up producing this. You're going to end up working for this stuff that goes against God's word, but I love that he doesn't call it the works of the spirit. He calls it the fruit of the spirit and fruit takes time. You nurture it. You, you know, if, if any gardeners out there, you, you, I'm terrible at gardening because I'm not patient. I need a little more of that fruit of the spirit, I think, but you, you're, you're slowly, you're creating the conditions in the soil so that eventually fruit comes of it. And that's a good way to think about your Christian life, but you can't do that. You can't do that, but by the Holy spirit. And and that's the whole point, KD. Before we move on for the, from this, I just want to I want to address one other thing that someone coming out of Mormonism might wonder. Can so can you lose the Holy Spirit in Mormonism? Could you can you lose? Did the Holy Spirit come and go? And then let's talk about what the Bible says about that. In Mormonism, you're taught that when you sin, um, you you lose the Spirit. So the Spirit becomes offended. The Holy Ghost is offended. Um, and cannot dwell with an unclean person kind of thing. Is that what you'd say, Bo? Yeah, and and that's how you lose the spirit, and then you repent. You go through the repentance process, and um, the Holy Ghost can come back then into your life. So for Mormons, the, the sacrament, the weekly sacrament's a big deal because that's when they renew their promises to God and they get the fullness of the spirit back, and then they leave church and... For five minutes. And sin, and all of a sudden they're they're back in that battle of trying to get the spirit back in their mm. life. And so, mm. so I think when KD described it a couple weeks ago as a hamster wheel, I, I think it's really fitting because you're constantly trying to earn the spirit in your life, the Holy Ghost in your life. And again, it's not what the Bible teaches. Okay, yeah, let me, let me just be super clear. The Bible says that when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's a gift that God gave you. So because it was a gift... It wasn't something you earned. You can't lose it. He doesn't take his Holy Spirit from you. He does, it's, it's not like a cat and mouse game that he's playing with you. It's, up, oh, up. Oh, you screwed up. I'm going to take it. Well, you didn't screw up. It wasn't, a really, it wasn't one of those really bad sins. So I, you know, I, I haven't taken my Holy Spirit from you. That's, God doesn't play those. People will be happy to hear this. God does not play those games with us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. Now, we can, the Bible says we can quench the Spirit, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. The Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 4, 30. But the Bible doesn't say we can lose the Holy Spirit. The Bible doesn't say that the Holy Spirit leaves us when, when God gets mad at us. And so be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is, is a gift from God. It's a gift that God promised long ago to those who would receive, receive salvation by faith. And the Holy Spirit is continually working in you to produce good fruit in your life. 
Yeah, it's it's just important to remember that the Holy Spirit is what uh, is what is living in you, right? As part of your new creation. So, so if the Holy Spirit leaves, your new creation is going to die. <laughs> mm. Like it just doesn't make any sense if if we really if, if when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we become new creations through the Spirit dwelling in us as temples. It just doesn't make sense that the Spirit would just randomly peace out, and all of a sudden <laughs> that new cre- that new creation is dead. And we're starting all over again. Mm. Uh, anyway, there'd be a lot of rebaptisms. I think a lot of yeah, exactly. Of getting baptized every week, but it just doesn't. It's just not. Yeah, well, it doesn't work that way. And one more thing about the Holy Spirit. It, this is helpful for Mormon. We're not going to dive into this in detail here, but there's more stuff in our library on this. The Holy Spirit is a person. So the Holy Spirit. I, sometimes I even call the Holy Spirit an it, and that's not right. The Holy Spirit is a he. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I know for a lot of Mormons, they're still trying to understand that. We've got a whole series on the Trinity to help you to understand that. But but this is God himself. I mean, this is so crazy. This is God himself in you. I think, Katie, you said it earlier, maybe it was you, Bo, that, that we are the temple. We are the Holy... We don't... This is one of the reasons we don't need temples anymore. This is one of the reasons that the apostolic Christians didn't have temples. They did not worship in temples. So I, I always thought it was so crazy that, that Joseph Smith said that he was restoring temples to Christianity like that was lost. That we, we're the temple. You are the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. In the Old Testament, God dwelled in the Holy Spirit, or God dwelled in the temple. That was the whole point to the tabernacle and the temple. It was a place where God dwelled. Guess what? God now dwells in us. God, the Holy Spirit. And so that what a powerful thought that is, that, that, that we don't need temples because we are the temple and the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell in us and to move us to be obedient to him. Okay, so we've talked about God's word. Remember, God has given us everything we need to give to live godly lives by his grace. It's his doing. It's, it's his gift to us. So he's gifted us with the Bible He's gifted us with the Holy Spirit. And one more thing, he's gifted us with other believers. So here's how I like to think about this. This is the trifecta of Christian living. It's God's spirit, God's word, God's people. Now, guys, in the Mormon church, uh, this maybe some Mormons might say, oh, amen, God has given us his people to keep us on the right track. How did that look in Mormonism? I would say... Um when I was thinking about this, uh, we've been kind of being a little bit like, well, Mormons have it wrong. Mormons have it wrong. If there's one place they have it right, it's here. Like, I'm just going to say it like that because there, you, there is nothing like, um, in especially in Utah, like Mormon wards and the way that they uh, uphold each other, the community, the, the meals that are given out, the relief society, the, Elders Quorum, they help move people. They re-roof houses. So I think just given some, you know, throwing some some stuff their way, this is where <laughs> they do a pretty good job. And there's nothing like the judgment in that community either. Uh, okay, yeah. So <laughs> I, sorry, I, uh, having been the guy that roofed all those homes okay. and <laughs> um, <laughs> that that did all the home teaching and everything. You did all that too. Like, I'm not, I'm not, yeah. I just, uh, man, I was a judgmental guy. Like I, oh, man, I, yeah, I, I judged people 
that weren't serving as hard as I was, mm. or I judge people that wouldn't do their home teaching like That's I would, true. or, and, and I'm not, again, like, I just think that, um, because it was so focused on what you do earns you mm-hmm. the spirit or earns you a place with God or earns you favor. Like it, it, of course it's going to, it's on the outside. It's going to be a thriving community of people doing right. It's the beehive state. Like people are constantly doing They're they're, they're visiting teaching their home teaching or their, what, what's it called now again? I can't even remember ministering, ministering. Mm-hmm. their, um, they're they're serving in their church callings, sometimes two callings, right? They're re-roofing homes. They're like raising lots of kids. They, yeah, they're raising a ton of kids. They're they're serving in youth groups on the weekends. Like mm-hmm. all of that is really, really good. Mm. And 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 I I truly think that they're trying to live as a people of God together should live. So I would agree with you, but I think it also brings when it's when it's not motivated from from God, when it's not motivated from the Holy Spirit, uh, on the flip side, it can get really judgmental and really like, well, I'm better than you because I do these things or whatever. So maybe burdensome for those who feel like they can't live up to it. For those who feel like, oh my gosh, I, I just cannot get to ministering or I didn't get to do that this month and they feel uh, like they're lacking, right? Just so much guilt. Yeah. I mean, how many mm-hmm. times have you and I had this conversation so many where times. I was trying to just talk you out of hating yourself and maybe mm-hmm. we don't have to air this part, but like there were so many times where we would have late night talks of like, Hey, you gotta get, you, you gotta give yourself some grace. Um, and I think Christians struggle with this too. This is not just a Mormon thing. And, and, and I would beat myself up because I was judging other people and like, it just, Anyway, and here's here's what Paul said, Galatians six one and two, and this is right after he talks about the Holy Spirit moving in us and producing this fruit in us and all this stuff, and then he, after all of that, he's I love this. He says that in the context of that, in the context of walking by the Spirit, and sometimes you don't, sometimes you fail. He says this, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should drum roll please. Like what's he going to say? How? What should you do in the church if someone is overcome by some sin? Here's what he says. You should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. That's what he says to do. You should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. I think what he's talking about there is... You know, where the Pharisees said to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. I think that's what he's, I think they came to call that the law of Christ. And, um, and that's what he's saying. You want to love God and love your neighbor? You do it by sharing each other's burdens. You do it by not condemning someone when they fall into a sin, but by gently and humbly helping them back onto the right path. You know, the opposite of that is saying, oh, do whatever you want. God doesn't care. You have the you have the grace. You have grace as a license to sin. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this is uh, this is what I love about this passage. He's saying, look, you've got to find that place where you're lovingly, humbly, gently, you know, out of genuine concern for, for that other person, you're trying to help them to do the right thing, to get back on the right path. You're not justifying their sin. You're not dismissing their sin. But that's why it's so important for us to understand what sin is and what it isn't. It's so important for us to have a biblical conception of sin. 
And this is, I think, one of the reasons in Mormonism it was so burdensome is because some of the stuff that you guys, that you were taught in Mormonism was biblical, but a lot of it wasn't. So you had to kind of sort, not as Mormons you didn't, as Mormons you just had all this burden. So you're, you know, you're, you've got a pat on the back for not drinking coffee and for whatever, all the other things that you shouldn't have done or you should have done. And, and now that you come into faith in Christ, you say, okay, wait, I have a new I have a new way to live. I need to find out what what things God does care about and what stuff was just tradition of men that I need to just throw throw out. And then I need to and then I need to have the Holy Spirit moving the Holy Spirit's going to be the one producing that in me. And and now my community of faith can can help me in a real meaningful way because we're holding each other accountable to something that really matters to God, not to just a bunch of a bunch of dumb rules. Yeah, that's a that's a great point, um, and and hopefully I didn't come across too, <laughs> uh, I don't know, too too down on the Mormon community. I think the Mormon community is a, is a can be a very impressive, beautiful thing, right? Like they really do try to take care of one another, but I've also seen it go the other way, where, um, you know, if maybe if you don't fit in in the Mormon community, or if if you're someone that isn't Mormon that's living inside of a Mormon neighborhood. Like there's just so there's a lot of nuances to it that, that you'll notice, you know? Um, and, and I'm, I'm sure it's that way anywhere, but, uh, anyway, Brian, I think you make a really good point here because, um, what's, what's motivating you is not you, the good works don't come from yourself trying to, trying to, yeah, trying to like be worthy of, God's grace. They come because God's grace has changed you and, and, and it's motivated by the spirit living in you. And, and so, uh, anyway, I, it's so hard to verbalize that change, (laughs) but having lived one way and now having lived another, it is so clear to, to myself and I'm sure to you, Katie, of like the difference when you put your faith and trust in Christ versus when I thought I was doing all I could to earn Christ's um, favor or grace, and man, what a difference! So, for for those you know listening who who have a Mormon background, I'm sure you can relate. Uh, and, and I would just encourage you to to keep going, right? To 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 keep seeking after Jesus, and and maybe maybe a couple weeks ago uh, w- was your time to put your faith and trust in in, in Christ. Maybe you've Maybe you've moved on in these in this series and you haven't done that yet. Um, I would encourage you to do it. I would encourage you to to look long and hard at the Jesus of the Bible and realize and come to terms with uh, the fact that you need Him. And and when you realize that you need Jesus, when you realize you can't do this on your own, that's when you'll be brought to your knees. And when you put your faith and trust in Christ you will become a new creation. And that's when the Spirit lives in you. And that's when living a godly life becomes possible. And, and that's when uh, you're able to, to serve in the community, God's people, as Christians, as believers. That's when, anyway, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a soapbox here, but I, I just, I want to emphasize this doesn't come through keeping a list of do's and don'ts. It comes through Jesus and Jesus Christ's grace alone that allow us to to live godly lives. 
Hey listeners, Pastor Brian here. If you're enjoying our podcast, would you consider becoming a donor? Our goal is that these podcasts would reach the largest audience possible. So obviously it takes money to create good podcasts, but more than that, we want to make sure to market this to the whole nation and even to the world. That's where your donation comes in. So would you consider becoming a monthly donor? And to do it, just visit PursueGod.org forward slash donate.